Good morning, and welcome to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm your host, Daniel Montano. Policing is a subject that's no stranger to controversy, especially here in New Mexico and in Albuquerque in particular. The Albuquerque Police Department is still being monitored by the U.S. Justice Department following numerous cases of officers shooting suspects and findings by the DOJ that APD engaged in a, quote, pattern or practice of use of excessive force. Many of these cases involved people with mental illness and in crisis. It's been nearly a decade since the riots rocked the city in response to the shooting of such a person, James Boyd. Then in 2020, like in many other cities, there were protests calling to defund the police department, to take money that would normally go to support armed officers and instead spend it on other efforts to protect public safety and maintain order. At that time, across the country, citizens were rethinking policing and asking what we should expect of law enforcement. A series of high-profile cases of police violence from Michael Brown and Breonna Taylor to Tamir Rice and George Floyd, just to name a few, sparked a nationwide interest in what it means to invest in public safety in ways other than traditional police. And it was in the midst of this environment that Mayor Tim Keller announced Albuquerque Community Safety. It was an all-new department that could be dispatched instead of or in addition to fire, rescue, and police crews. People with a background in mental health and social work, for example, are dispatched to low-level emergency calls involving mental health, addiction and substance use, and other issues that don't require a standard police presence. Today, ACS has been operating for well over a year, and a number of similar efforts have been raised around the state. In Santa Fe, there's the new Alternative Response Unit, and in Doña Ana County, they now have a mobile crisis team that is dispatched to 988 emergency mental health calls. Today on Let's Talk New Mexico, we'll be discussing these alternate policing programs, taking a look at what they've done and what they're going to do in the future, and we want to hear from you. What do you think about these new efforts? Is it a good investment in these cities' future or as a waste of taxpayer dollars? Have you had an experience with one of these alternate responders? Give us a call and tell us your thoughts at 505-277-5866. Send us an email at letstalk at kunm.org or shoot us a tweet using the hashtag letstalknm, all one word. We have three guests joining us. Here in the studio, we have Mariela Ruiz Angel. She's the director of Albuquerque's Community Safety Department. Thanks for being here this morning, Mariela. Good morning. And we also have two guests joining us remotely. First is Nicole Alt, Behavioral Health Director for the Santa Fe Fire Department. And we also have Karina Diaz joining us from Doña Ana County over Zoom. She's the site director for the county's Crisis Triage Center. It's a sort of emergency stabilization program for mental health crises. Thank you, ladies, for joining the program. I'm going to start things off with my guest here in studio, Mariela. She is the director at Albuquerque Community Safety, and she's been with the organization from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly ACS does? Yeah, so Albuquerque Community Safety started in 2020 as kind of the big plunge into things that we were already doing. So we already had pilots and kind of programs that were partnered with fire, partnered with police to help them in some of the mental health issue type of calls that we were receiving. Um, But we take over, you know, a million calls a year um, at the city, in the city, and um, about 13 percent more or less go to the fire department, which is, you know, a little over 100,000. Um, And that means everything else goes to police. And the reality is that we knew that we needed something large. We needed needed something um, much more robust. And so we ended up jumping in with both feet into a new department, um, which was the first ever in the nation. Um, Something that I don't think anybody knew um, would take off. I think folks were nervous, um, as we all were about this. But the reality, it's been fantastic. So we created a department that is aligned with police and fire. So we are all at the table, all the chiefs, and um, we make decisions based on for, you know, for first type, um, for alternatives, sorry, for public safety types of calls and public safety types of issues in the community. And so it allows for us to have all the different components of um, public safety and mental health is a big one of those. So ACS is um Currently at about uh, 70, we just hired 15 new folks that started this week, um, and we've taken over 21,000 calls since um, the, the beginning, which is the September of 2021. Um, 
you know, it, we had a rough start and we didn't, nobody really knew what this was. And I'm sure those that are on the call today were, you know, everybody who had questions, fears. Um, could social workers go out and do this without getting hurt? And um, and I think the proof of concept, myself and colleagues on this call, I think have really shown that we can do that. So um, we take calls for service from 911, 311 um, that are really the gamut, um, homeless issues, welfare checks, um, what typically has been called down and outs, but we call wellness checks, um, suspicious individual, uh, minor crisis with children or, or with older adults who are dealing with dementia. Um, we really kind of try to assess and address the situation so that they're non-medical and non-violent or if we see a, a clear weapon in place, they won't send us to those calls. But that's a lot of calls and they are continuing to grow. So we anticipate that right now we are at 4% of 911 calls mm -hmm. um, and we anticipate that in going into 2023 and 2024 that we hope to double that number and be at 8%. That's huge considering how large our fire department is um, and knowing how many calls they take. So um, I think proof of concept is there. Now it's really about sharpening um, and and really figuring out what's working really well and what's not working well and, um, and bolstering the work going into phase two. Cool. And can you tell us a little bit more about the different sort of responders that you have? Because you guys have different crews that go out, right? Yeah. So we interestingly had, we, we really did not want to keep it to like a clinical standpoint. Um, as a social worker myself, I, um, you know, we have a lot of different folks from different backgrounds. And although uh, we appreciate clinical standpoints, um, they don't always have the lived experiences and the understanding of what our community is going through. Um, a lot of, we really needed somebody who could, you know, like a peer support worker who really had understanding and knowledge of what it might be to be incarcerated or who, who's been shot at or who has been a victim, unfortunately, of police brutality. And, um, and that's who we were really focusing on is people who looked like us, people who looked like people in the community, people who understood the complexities of poverty and addiction and mental health. I don't need a clinician to diagnose in less than you know, tw 30 minutes that we're talking to somebody. I need somebody who can truly be able to understand the situation and think about, cre you know, creatively how we're going to address them. But also knowing, like, this might not just be a them individual situation. It might be a family situation, and it's probably a community situation that we need to address. And so really understanding the organizing aspect of community. Um, so, yeah, so we actually have folks from across all backgrounds, including um, teachers, people who were teachers for high schools and middle schools. Um, we have people who worked in the hospitals and the ERs. Um, we have ex-police and firefighters and paramedics who have come to work for us. Um, and then, of course, our, our very kind of more traditional social worker, counselor type of individuals. So um, the idea was never about not right focusing on this like clinical lens. It was really about having the right responder go out. And it's about values and about compassion and about um, understanding complexities of, of all the different issues that we go out to. So we were very fortunate, I will say this, um, because people always ask, are you getting enough people? Aren't you gonna be struggling? Um, I will tell you this year, and I know that this will not be the case going forever, but for this year, we had 50 open positions and had 500 applicants. Wow. Yeah, this is pretty unheard of. And these are from people across the entire nation who are really wanting to come in and um, really just do something different with their background. And ultimately also, um, this is really sexy for a lot of mental health background people, right? You don't have to say, I'm so sorry, I have to put you on my schedule for three weeks from now. People's mental health needs to be adjust, addressed at that moment sometimes. And so the reality is that this, or to say, sorry, you don't qualify because you don't have Medicaid or you don't have health care that we can give you treatment. Um, or you have a dual diagnosis and we, we can't help you with that. So this is really um, a, a nice way for a lot of folks who are not office people, traditional um, office folks who really get on the street and and 
use the skill sets that they have and that they, um, some of them, you know, live through to be able to help our community. Mm -hmm. And we already do have an email from a listener, Terry, who sent this. A year ago, my uncle passed away on Christmas Eve. Along with the investigators was a mental health worker. We recognized it was to keep us away from the area while the investigators worked. It was a kinder way to do so, as the mental health worker provided support to my grandparents and my family. What could have been a cold and callous way to handle a necessary situation was softened by a caring person informed about mental health. So, Marielle, is this a good example of the role that ACS can play? Absolutely, and this is actually a call that we go out to pretty often um, is sometimes, um, especially with those that are elderly and sometimes not, but um, sometimes we go out to overdose calls where we do find people who are deceased when we arrive. And um, although, you know, we we get all the right people out there immediately, um, our role changes, right? It shifts from being first response to then having police go out there and paramedics go out there to take their place. And then our sh- we shift from individual to family and sometimes community because we get bystanders who are like, oh my God, that was my neighbor or oh my gosh, you know. Um, so we will then spend a lot of time in the community, especially if it was something more than just um, old age or, mm-hmm. or right, a sickness. But ultimately we have gone out and assisted the police in homicides um, or just even areas of town that maybe have had a series of shootings um, or bullet, you know, just even shooting out in the community can be really scary for communities Mm -hmm. and neighborhoods. So um, our teams really go out there and try to canvas out and make sure that people feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not even the, it's not that we have any level of, um, you know, like we can't go in and enforce anything, but, but we can go in and listen and we can go in and understand what some of the issues are. And, you know, who better to tell those stories than matriarchs that live in those communities? Many of them grew up in those communities themselves. So we're definitely um, out there working in a much different way and helping with what Terry says is shifting where we need to be able to help people. Um, One of the first experiences I had while I was doing research before I jumped in here um, into this role was getting in the car with the fire department and we went out to an overdose call. And so, you know, luckily they were able to revive the individual. And although that individual did not want to go to the hospital and was very upset about um, coming out of their um, high, they, the family was left. I watched, I watched while this person was really upset, but then watching the family kind of distraught and like not understanding what to do next. Um, And so, you know, firefighters left, they had other calls to go to, they had other emergencies and and so I, it was the first thing that I thought, how do we help these families who sometimes are the ones that get left um, behind to kind of figure things out? Mm-hmm. So that's a big part of what we do as well. Gotcha. And, you know, you mentioned that you, you guys will often go on calls to help out a police situation, but you guys will go out on your own. ACS responders don't have to show up with police officers or with fire and rescue. No, department. actually less than 1% of our calls actually have police with us um, or that we've ever had to even call police for backup. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we really prefer to go out without police. And I think police prefer to go out with us, not because we don't like working with each other, just because we know that there's so much, so many things going on in our community. We don't have to be at every single one of those. But when we do need to, there's a really interesting dynamic around, like, who takes lead and, you know, how do we shift um, those power dynamics? It's been really a pleasant um, surprise to be able to work with police the way we have. Nice. And so how are the calls that you guys go out to dispatch to the responders? Um, As a citizen, if I call into 911, how is it decided that my call should be routed to ACS instead of police, for example? So we really felt, um, for lots of reasons, resources mostly, that um, we really wanted to use our current dispatch system. And so um, you call 911 or you call 311, and those call takers um, are qualified and highly trained on how to assess and then understand which way to send calls. Um, So they have a real clear understanding. And they're not like scripted. They're very much around, you know, their level of priority. And if there's guns that are aware or if there's been red flags at a certain house, 
those are kind of things that we have access and backgrounds to so that we're not putting our responders in danger in any way. But we also take a lot of other calls. A lot of people mm-hmm. are realizing they can call their supervisors and they can call 311 at different times and they can also call our, our main line and get to us. Um, so we're definitely um, having to figure out how to triage a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, we've even worked with our 988 um hosts that have been working to try to even figure out a a wraparound so that they can get access to us a little bit faster as well. Very nice. Well, this is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Daniel Montano. We are talking about public safety alternatives to traditional policing and Albuquerque's Community Safety Department. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico. I'm Daniel Montano. We're taking your calls about public safety alternatives to traditional policing in New Mexico. You can send us a tweet using the hashtag Let's Talk NM. Give us a call at 505-277-5866 or email letstalk at KUNM.org and let us know if you've called into one of these departments in Albuquerque, Santa Fe, or Dona Ana County, for example, all of whom we do have represented here today. Before the break, we spoke with Maria Ruiz Angel about some of the basics of ACS, and we're going to talk a little bit more about ACS and the other programs in the state. But before we do, I wanted to share an interview I conducted with Baron Jones. He is a senior policy strategist for the American Civil Liberties Union of New Mexico, who has focused a lot uh, on criminal justice reform throughout his career. Part of that is through a group called APD Forward, in which he describes as a coalition of advocacy groups, including the ACLU, that was formed in response to excessive force and police violence with the goal of improving policing in the Duke City in general and eliminating shootings by police officers. The group was originally formed in 2012 and Barron says they were integral in getting the Department of Justice to investigate APD after the James Boyne shooting. I asked him if he thinks ACS has been effective at helping to curb police violence. So as far as the type of calls that ACS takes, um, do you think that they are making a, a really a good impact in the community um, as far as the mission that they are trying to go out there and fulfill? You know, I, I think I think the verdict is is still out, right? Um, I, I think it's yet to be determined. I, I sort of, you know, I, I sort of question sometimes: Are they just responding to calls that shouldn't be calls? Period in the first place, right? Um, and then I think um, they're going to always have challenges fulfilling that obligation if the city of Albuquerque isn't committed to funding that program the way it should, right? And so when we think about um, law enforcement. Um, money is no object, right? Money is no object when it comes to law enforcement. Yet um, the ACS requested budget um, was denied, right? And so I think um, when we look at that, it sort of um, make makes me question the commitment to the process. You know, and then the bottom line, it goes down to who's being harmed, right? And we're on track for a record number, a record number of students this year. When those go down, I will, you know, throw my support full um, throated um, behind the idea that the ACS is living up to the mission. Gotcha. So another question for you, you know, we this year saw from the DOJ's monitoring report that um, there was actually positive notes for the first time um, in in all of their reporting. They were a little positive on a couple of the aspects that are happening. Um, APD also recently uh, took over self-monitoring on a quarter of um, some of the things that were agreed to with the consent decree with the Department of Justice. Um, And so they've been hitting these these milestones and these markers that have been put forward but at the same time we're still seeing a record number of homicides in Albuquerque this year and a record number of officer involved shootings so what does that say about the benchmarks that we've set well, you know, I, I think, you know, there's 300-something paragraphs in the CASA, and that's how they sort of, in the court-approved settlement agreement, and that's how they sort of ferret out um, um, what's compliance, right? And I think the off, the, the, the paragraphs that the city were uh, were allowed to um, go into self-monitoring were sort of, you know, I mean, they're administrative things like that, right? But when they're, right now, they still have the issue with use of force, and I want to point out the the progress is, you know, being recognized, and I appreciate the city of Albuquerque, you know, making such progress. It comes at a at a, at a, at a steep 
cause to the, the people of Albuquerque. Prior to the the 15th and 16th monitoring report that, you know, that indicated that there were improvements with secondary compliance and operational compliance, which means that the officers are adhering to the policies that have been um, outlined and, and vetted, and they're being held accountable if they're not, right? Um, what's happening here is that we have an external force investigation team um, sort of for lack of a better term, holding um, um, internal affairs divisions who investigate use of force hands, right? And they're sort of teaching them how to do it. So the big question is, and I'm sure you've probably you know, heard other folks say this, is what's going to happen when um, the external force investigation team leaves town, right? Will they be able to sustain that type of um, that type, that type of um, progress, right? It got to one point during IMR 13 and 14 where they had a backlog of 660 um, investigations, right? Of use of force investigations. So so it's sort of, you know, so, you know, before I, you know, like I said, appreciate the progress is being made, but it's being made at a steep cost to the people of taxpayers. And there's no indication at this point that those um, improvements are sustainable. So then what is the answer? What needs to be changed before we start seeing truly uh, real ground gained in this area? Well, as the monitoring team noted, and we are seeing, you know, progress is being made. It's just very, very incremental. Um, it's very in- incremental. And, I, you know, I think, you know, as we keep seeing less incidents of force, right, you know, that's that's what the progress will eventually look like. And that's what we want to see. Right. And we also believe that, you know, there's a um, um, under, you know, um, the Albuquerque Police Officers Association contract, right? There is um, mechanisms in there that allow officers to, you know, bid um, what they call bid for their space every six months, every year, right? And so this means officers are, are frequently moving around. So the city of Albuquerque and Albuquerque Police Department uh, must come up with some sort of way to, um, to, 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 to sort of make IAFD Internal Affairs Force Division that does the use of force cases, um, investigations, a, a venerated post, a venerated post. So officers still want to go there. You know, I know um, back in the day I was um, speaking with um, the um, um, a few weeks ago, we were speaking with the assistant. We were speaking to a city official who said at one point, um, you know, internal affairs was a place that 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 folks um, needed to spend some time in before they're able to, you know, I mean, it was it was a stepping stone, so to speak. And until we have that, because it's no secret, um, there's the 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 notion um, that has been, you know, proven that officers sometimes do not like investigating other officers. Right. You know, and for what whatever reasons I'm not going to assign any motives to that but it does um, sort of speak of, um, of of ones not wanting to do that post, right? And so what the city of Albuquerque has done has brought in civilian investigators and maybe, you know, it should be an all-civilian um, unit um, or maybe, uh, it, it, you know, we need to reshape the whole entire department and the oversight process. Who knows, right? There's so many things um, that, that could do, but I know one thing we need to do, we need to stop putting our community members in positions to grieve their loved ones at the hands of law enforcement. That's what we need to do. And that's probably the most important thing we can do at this point. Um, And I think I've, you know, read a couple articles, you know, where I was really impressed with some of the things that the chief of police has said. But um, once again, until we stop, you know, I mean, people are coming in contact with police officers um, after crashes and ended up dead, passed away, passed um, sleep in their car and they're ended up dead and their families are grieving. And this happens all too often, right? You know, cynics would say, well, how many times it happened? If it happens once, it's too much. People who champion ACS, I think they might say that, you know, well, that's what these people are doing. That's what these behavioral health responders are doing. They're going out on calls where, you know, people are maybe sleeping in their car 
something like that. And, and that is their goal is to try and um, stop police from interacting with these sorts of calls in the first place. Do you think that they they have a leg to stand on when they say any sort of help that these people do is worth it? That's one call less that APD doesn't have to deal with. Oh, I, I, oh, I definitely get behind that. Right. I know I definitely get behind that, um, you know, and I think um, if the city of Albuquerque um, will um, invest in that department and, and make it a 24 hour around the clock department, we can we can see some changes. Right. I think um, I think both these incidents um, um, that I just mentioned happened, you know, in, in the later hours, um, in the evening and early morning hours. Right. When ACS is not functioning, you, you know, we don't stop the police after 10 o'clock. Right. You know, so if you're going to, you know, you have to be sort of. Yeah, holistic, right? You know, around the clock. This is, I mean, this is public safety, right? One arm of public safety goes 24-7 and one stops at 10, 10 p.m., right? So I think we need to sort of address that. And then another thing is that, you know, um, the first thing most folks holler is that, oh, yeah, we can just give them referrals to service. Well, who are providing those services? There's no services out there to, to, to have, right? So... Um, you know, so the city of Albuquerque, it's, it's a flush time in the state of New Mexico, and we need to invest in more um, behavioral health infrastructure and housing support infrastructure so um, ACS can be successful. Because right now, what's happening, you know, if an ACS person goes to a, a domestic violence call, right, and that person need to be, you know, um, extricated out of a, of, a, of a horrible situation, you know, ACS may be able to you know get vouchers for them for two weeks what happens after that right and 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 that's a that's a real need right we you know the first thing um many advocates do and 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 i know we do we do it in our world often is address the root causes right well you can you can say that it's all it's all rhetoric right now until we have some um some services available for people so it's incumbent on the city of albuquerque and the state of um, new mexico is to take a, a, a money's no object approach when it comes to restoring communities and families and people right and and i think that until we see that acs is going to be an uphill um, battle but i do like i said i do you know recognize the the intent and 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 there's some you know great dedicated people there you know i would say um considering the dearth of services available is something that needs to happen before they can truly make an impact you know um like i said um because then it, it comes to this thing where you know it runs the risk of um of, of creating um what word do I want to use? You know, not being able to provide service and, and give people um, tangible um, resources can create a situation where folks um, just sort of don't believe in the mission anymore, right? It will sort of devalue the mission, right? So the ACS um, hardworking men and women who are out there responding to calls, and I hope they're not calling them officers, are they? Responders. Okay, because you mentioned officers. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's scary. Yeah. Um, but the hardworking men and women who are um, responding to these calls, um, you know, they, they, they need those resources to build the credibility um, with the communities they're trying to um, connect with and serve, right? So I think, yeah, I, I do think it's, it's very important. You know, I talk about I talk about this all the time, um, that when you look at the budget, um, you know, look at the budget of, of uh, an Albuquerque Police Department, $284 million. Don't quote me on this numbers, but it's up in that range compared to a community safety department, $74 million, right? Um, compared to an ACS, I don't even know what that budget is, seven. Yeah, $11 million. So, I mean, I think that, you know, whoa, those are some serious margins to, to try to make up. And you want to, you know, bring those, um, those same services and, and provide things that are going to heal communities and make um, families whole, right? And so I think it's a long-winded way to say yes. I think that the infrastructure, you know, I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't say just leave ACS alone because you don't have the infrastructure in place. But it's something that folks should be working toward um, as this department gets up and running and and continue to do service. And I just want to point out, you know, there's um. 
You know, we're almost double the the number of um, officer-involved shootings this year, you know, from last year. So it's a full year of ACS, and we have double the number of shootings, right? So um, I just need to be very clear about that, um, very clear about that. And and also, the ACS needs to um, stick to their mission, you know, from what my, from what I'm observing, right, from what I'm thinking is that the um, the department is, is, is being pulled away for optics right you know optics um for example with uh, with the tragedy involving Brett Rosenau and the SWAT team you know ACS was all over there and I'm thinking Wow, where does this fit into the mission of of, of stopping police calls? <laughs> Maybe before you know, um, incendiary devices were blown and thrown into the house and, and catching it on fire, right? So I think, um, long as the, the the mission they say is true to the mission, and um, because the ACS get pulled and all pulled in all sort of direction, you know, to and and it's for optics for no other reason, right? I'm not going to bite my tongue on that. It's for to to make the um, folks look like they're doing things when they're not. Um, 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 and this is the, this is not ACS. This is the Albuquerque Police Department, things like that. Oh, I just think that um, you know we would like to you know really see, and, and the city of Albuquerque you know sort of owes it to the community um, a, a larger investment in that in that operation, so we really can determine whether or not it's successful or not. Um, Eleven million dollar budget for um, a mission that size is sort of inadequate, and we owe it to the people, um, our community members, to to uh, uh, address that 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 the financial caps. Once again, that was an interview I conducted with Baron Jones, a senior policy strategist for the ACLU of NM. Now, obviously, Baron had a few words of criticism for ACS there, and I wanted to give you a chance to react to some of those, Mariella. You know. And Baron's not wrong on some of these areas. Um, we would absolutely love to build out more call types that we take. Um, but having something like this, and he's not wrong also, having the budget that we have, we're limited. Additionally, um, for those that have who have actually created a startup business, um, we're in a really great place considering that like nobody's been hurt. We've had no deaths. We've had no um, major injuries. Um, and, and we're at, we will be hopefully if we can get the rest of our funding for this year, we'll be at about 120 individuals. Um, do I want to grow the department? Absolutely. Do I want to have more budget? Absolutely. Do I want to be included in the public safety budgetary, how he said very clearly, um, right? We, we do throw a lot of money at fire and police, um, and they work very hard for it. So I understand a lot of those, of those um, issues internally, but I think that's where we're working towards. Um, could I spend $236 million? Absolutely not right now. Um, and so, again, yes, we are at about $11 million. Um, I will continue to push. I think that's part of where we're at. And he's right. Our mission is to provide Albuquerque with a holistic, empathic, and informed response to behavioral mental health calls to 911. Um, and that it's personalized to the type of call that we go out to. So, you know, to add the second part of what he's talked about, um, a lot of this is preventative work. There is no doubt. There are people who we have gone out to um, who very high chances, if we let that fall to the wayside and let that sit for five or six hours, that is going to be another SWAT situation. That is going to be end, end up with something, um, with somebody who's going to end up either getting potentially shot, whether it's from police or not, or hurt in general. So, um, so yes, I, you know, I, I want to respond in the sense that like we are pushing and we are um, addressing. And and the last thing I want to say is that optics. Um, that I will say that that's not true. We were at that SWAT situation at the referral from APD, and we kept that family on our mm-hmm. caseload for over six months. Um, or since the beginning one, or whatever that feels. It feels like six months, but since that happened. Right. Um, and we work with that family. Not because there was any obligation, not because the city was like, you're going to, but because we built a rapport and we bu- and we felt very responsible to be able to go in there and help that family um, with what had happened to them, which was traumatic. So... Um, and again, not at the request of police, but the fact that we felt that that was our duty to go in and, and help with that family. Um, so sometimes, yeah, I can see how that might be feel like the case, but 
any time that police re- requests us to go out, we mm-hmm. prioritize that pretty heavily because that's a win for us. Right. The more that police feel comfortable with us going out, the more that police get to know us, the more that they can see us in action, the better it's going to be for everybody because that officer now understands what we're capable of and can trust that we're not going to screw things up for them or make them look bad or right potentially hurt somebody else. The reality is that until we start to build that better rapport with our police officers, and there's a lot of them, we'll continue to get, you know, pushed back a little mm-hmm. bit. So there's a little bit, there's a, a fine line around wanting to grow, but also knowing that working in a system that has been around for many centuries, ultimately we have to we have to work within those those boundaries. Gotcha. Well, um, we are talking about alternatives to tra- traditional policing here in the land of enchantment. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM. I'm Daniel Montano. We'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back to Let's Talk New Mexico on KUNM. We are looking at public safety and alternative approaches beyond traditional policing. There is still time to call in this morning at 505-277-5866 if you had a comment or a question. Speaking of, I do have our last two guests that I really want to get to here before the end of the show. But before I do that, um, we did have a couple questions that came in from some listeners. Mariela, one from um, Mike. He asks if you could explain the difference between mobile crisis teams and ACS. And another one from Richard. Richard says, you mentioned that your reps don't have enforcement authority, but I have a question about the other side of that. It seems like sometimes folks in crisis are quite reactive against authority. So having that having authority present actually escalates the crisis. Are you finding that lack of an authority role actually helps your people do work in creative ways or is it a problem and you need more enforcement authority? So um, to answer the first question, um, ACS is kind of the overall overarching for for us here. We have mobile crisis teams that we started back in 2017 or 18 at the city, and they're a clinician paired with an officer. So for many years, and this is just definitions, and we've all been figuring this out nationwide on how to call people and, and what the definitions are. But from, from what we're starting to really um, figure out, mobile crisis teams have been kind of the, the go-to um, title for anything that was a clinician or a social worker going out with paramedics or going out with a firefighter or going out with police. Um, now we're calling that co-response. Um, so a lot of cities will say if it's a co-response model, it's a police officer and a clinician or a paramedic and a clinician. Um, and so that way we can really keep mobile crisis teams because there are some across the city, I mean, across the nation that are really enveloping, right, that title more for everything under the sun. So um, it really is just a definition. But we do have our MCTs that were traditionally called MCTs are a co-response model. It's a clinician paired with an officer. And I will tell you the def- why we have those clinicians and they're not very, we don't get that many calls. I mean, a grip of them. And you can see our data mm-hmm. at cabq.gov slash ACS. Um, we're very transparent about that. And, um, but it's because those individuals are paired with an officer and those are your highest acuity type of calls. So this might probably require or have a need to then have forced transport to the hospital, have somebody um, evaluated. This is somebody who might be doing harm to themselves or harm to others. So that's really what that need is for those clinical um, positions. But that's, that's the difference with those two. The second one around enforcement you know, my team doesn't need that. Um, there are some cities that they're finding that the only reason they are trying to change policy for enforcement is to help with some of those lower acuity calls, like when you've been in a car accident. And although maybe there's no injuries, um, you need that piece of paper to be able to then, you know, claim the insurance on your vehicle. So those are small things that we can assist with, even without the enforcement aspect. Like we help people all the time fill out tickets and stuff online because you can do that. Um, but we don't need that. We we don't we don't need the enforcement aspect right now. Mm-hmm. Um, will that change in the future? I don't know. I think our team is really happy about not having that aspect because it doesn't force us, right? To It doesn't force us. It doesn't force individuals. Even our transport. We transport now in our vehicles, and it's voluntary. You know, people have a choice in um, whether or not they want the services. And I think that goes to a lot of even previous conversations that we've had around sometimes people are just not ready for help. And 
you know, I get that people would love us to force people to do that, but it's just not part of our rights as citizens. And um, so, you know, whole other conversation, Mm -hmm. but the reality is that ACS is really good about trying to make sure, and it, it does lay, even just walking up, on a on a call or a situation and saying, "Hey, we're ACS. We're not here. We're not the police." Mm-hmm. Man, that takes it from like a ten to a five. And now we're starting to get known enough that, like, even we went out to a big um, encampment the other day to kind of just check on folks, make sure it was a really cold night. We wanted to make sure nobody um, was hurt or injured or anything like that. And we did have an outburst of somebody who started to kind of throw rocks and, and you know, yell at us and kind of chase one of our employees around. And two of the other unsheltered individuals living in that camp um, stepped in really quickly and were like, they're not the police. They're here to help us. Like, please, you know, please, like, don't do this. And so it was really interesting to now start seeing the dynamics of community who we have built trust with. Um, the last thing I'll say is that we have now, and I think this goes to um, a year in, um, 311 will sometimes occasionally get calls and just say, I work with this person at ACS named Ernest, and <laughs> Ernest knows my story, and I need Ernest. I'm here at the police department. Can you get Ernest over here, please? <laughs> um, and so that to me is maybe that small win, but the reality is it means that somebody built enough rapport to call Ernest mm-hmm. for a lifeline. Right. And that's happened as your department has grown and as it's and, you know, speaking of new departments, um, we also do have a couple more guests joining us today. Um, I want to start with our next guest, which is Karina Diaz. She's program director at the Donia Anna County Crisis Triage Center. This year, the nationwide state crisis hotlines merged with National Suicide Prevention Lifeline to become 988. It's a single number to call 24-7 for anyone experiencing a mental health crisis. In Donia Anna County, they have integrated their mobile crisis teams that Marielle was just explaining with 988, meaning now they can bring services directly to people in need. The Crisis Triage Center can house people experiencing a mental health crisis for up to 24 hours, giving people the support when they need it the most. Karina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's good to have you. So the Crisis Triage Center has been operating for a little over a year so far. Um, how, How does it work? Yes, it's been open for a year and about eight months, and it works in, um, it's a 24-hour center. It's There are no referrals needed. Anyone can walk in. Um, we have four shifts, um, the seven days a week, um, and everyone in that shift is credentialed and in behavioral health. Um, and assessing crisis. So we have a registered nurse in every shift. We have a licensed behavioral health provider in every shift and certified peer support workers, as well as a clinical director and the director of mobile crisis, as well who are clinicians, as well as myself. Um, So as soon as someone comes in, um, it is a quick enrollment. And uh, the person then starts to Uh, speak to someone right away, a certified peer support worker and a nurse. Uh, We are a triage center, so we're looking to see if right off the bat there is a need for medical intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, We are a psychosocial center, so we, um, as we have the nurse uh, kind of assessing, then they can make a determination whether the person is able to continue with our services unless they need a medical, um, um, medical intervention. Um, So we provide the nursing assessment, we provide a psychosocial assessment, uh, short-term treatment plan, and discharge back to the community with resources. Gotcha. So when they get out, they actually have a plan of action and know what the next steps are going to be. Exactly. And so how how big is your department now? Um, Has it grown since you guys first started? Our program has grown um, since we started. Uh, We are completely staffed at this point. Um, and we have a capacity of 12 uh, at any given time. Mm-hmm. We have not reached capacity as of yet. Um, and because it is such a, sh- it's a short-term intervention, um, we don't foresee and we wouldn't stop anyone at the door in, in, in the case that we do reach capacity. Gotcha. And the idea to integrate your services with 988, where did that that come from? And how has that been going for you guys since, because you just just started that on December 1st, is that correct? 
That is correct. Um, I work for RI International. It's an international nonprofit organization that is in contract with Doñana County. So really, it's Doñana County who has uh, been able to to get this. We work under the Crisis Now model, SAMHSA's Crisis Now model, and they really wanted to right um, to make sure that um, Doñana County had this this crisis receiving center and that it had um, the whole three-tier process of the crisis now model, which is somewhere to call, someone uh, to, to, to go to where that person is, and then somewhere to go in Doñana County. So this, this came from Doñana County's um, kind of desire to be able to help their community. Mm-hmm. And um, those mobile crisis teams that you guys have, um, those do they fit the same description that Marial gave earlier about a police officer with a clinician? Is that the model that you guys use? No, the model that we use, it comes from that model I was uh, mentioning, Crisis Now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is a licensed behavioral health provider and either a certified peer support worker or a behavioral health technician. Uh, family advocate. It, it could mean um, um, a person, a two-person team that is mainly a behavioral health response. So we do not, um, we do not have EMS or we do not um, have a uh, police officer as a mm-hmm. team member. Mm-hmm. So more similar to ACS in that way than to the traditional mobile crisis team. And speaking of traditional mobile crisis teams, we also do have a third guest joining us. It's Nicole Alt. She is with the city of Santa Fe. She's the behavioral health director for the Santa Fe Fire Department, which is part of the city's alternative fire uh, or alternative response unit. This unit is smaller and newer than ACS. Nicole, would you mind giving us a little overview of exactly what the unit is and how long it's been operating? Sure. Hi. Good morning. Um, happy to be here. Um, I so we started um, our alternative response unit in May of 2021 um, with one unit. Um, the unit has an EMS captain um, on it and um, one of the case managers from our office. We have a pool of seven case managers um, who do longer term case management, but then they each take a turn on one of the units during the week also. Um, When we began in May of 2021, um, we had an officer on the unit with us Mm -hmm. um, from the police department. Um, But we have since changed that, realizing that we didn't need an officer at these, a lot of the scenes. So we now have an officer who's dedicated to our unit, but rides in his own vehicle and only responds when we um, ask for his backup. That actually is a perfect segue into another question I had for you. Um, you know, you guys obviously having a police officer as part of this is is one of the major differences from when you guys first started. Um, and, you know, obviously as you've grown, um, just like ACS, you've kind of experienced some growing pains and you've evolved, I assume, um, and experienced some lessons. How are you guys incorporating those lessons into your future and how are you guys growing as a as a unit? Um, great questions. So we are um, we are growing. We have grown now to two units. So we have two EMS captains, one on each unit. Um, and so that allows us to have two units running on two days a week. Okay. Um, so basically what we've learned from the, the police side of it is that we, we do respond to a lot more police calls than fire calls. Um, and we find that a lot of times there are people that we have already encountered through our other case management, or um, they are scenes that just they just need maybe a medical checkup and a check in with a case manager, and then we refer them into longer term case management if that's appropriate. Um, you know, there are those those situations where an officer might be needed in order if somebody wanted to have somebody trespassed from the property or file some sort of a report. Um, but we do tend to try to be um, the first on scene if we deem that that scene is safe. So the EMS captains have gotten really good at triaging those before they get on scene. Um, so we're happy to have our officer. Um, he's very, very useful to us. And we're also happy to, to have the unit operating the way that it is now um, without the officer on it. 
Nice. Yeah. And we also do have a comment from a listener. She uh, says in response to what Baron was speaking about earlier about the lack of resources in New Mexico, she says one of the reasons we don't have the services we need is we don't have enough workers in the pipeline with these skills. Jerry Ortiz Pino has legislation coming up to remove the barriers to training more folks. That was a caller named Barbara. Um, and, you know, I wanted to bring that up to, um, to you, Mariela, as well. You know, with that lack of resources, you know, I recently went on a ride along with a couple of your officers, which was fantastic. Um, uh, thank you, by the way. And one of the things I noticed while I was doing that is that, you know, these, these people genuinely care about their job. When I, when I was riding with them, uh, Shane and Jenny um, were great. And you could tell that they, they cared about the impact that they were making on their community. Um, and they were very frustrated by that lack of resources. And I'm sure that frustrates you as well. I'm curious if you have um, the ear of anybody or if you have any input on um, the way that things are going to be developing in the future. Yeah, so responders, um, not officers, for those that are listening. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think a part of this, and this is, where I love hearing about all the amazing work that's happening across the state and the nation um, because the thing that's going to probably be the game changer down the road, and it may not be this year, it might, when we're getting pulled into the legislature, but um, into the next years is our data. Our data collects so down to the T on where we transported somebody, did we get rejected, um, did they allow, open the doors for these individuals, um, and the reality is we'll be able to use that as a catalyst down the road for funding um, for some of our partners who are the key to helping the long-term issues around mental and behavioral health. Gotcha. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks to everyone who called and emailed to share your thoughts. And thanks so much to our guests, uh, Baron Jones, Mariela Ruiz Angel, and Nicole Alt, and Karina Diaz. Thank you guys so much. Let's keep this conversation going. Share your ideas on Twitter using the hashtag Let's Talk NM on Facebook. Search for KUNM Radio or email Let's Talk at KUNM.org. If you missed a part of the show, you can stream it online or subscribe to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Our engineer is Marino Spencer. Kave Movahead took your calls. Taylor Velasquez live tweeted. News director Megan Kamrick is our executive producer. Join us next week when we will talk about the Indian Child Welfare Act and the case at the U.S. Supreme Court with Jeanette Bidios. I'm Daniel Montano. This is Let's Talk New Mexico on 89.9 KUNM.